What's up, world? This is Blake the Millennial, better known as Blake. I'm the host of this podcast and author of this diary, and this is The Diary of a Mad Black Man. spent like the past like 15 minutes thinking that something was wrong with my mic thinking that it wasn't working the sound was just terrible then I actually stopped and I look I don't reset my computer and everything it was still sounding the same then I looked I had the built-in microphone still as the main microphone for the recording versus the actual microphone that I now have my Samson so that was just that was just an interesting thing anywho it is 107 in the morning uh today is tuesday september the first so it's the first of the month but i just wanted to kind of throw that out there because i want to let you guys know y'all I mean for those of you who are listening to this episode today know that i was up at one o'clock this morning finishing the intro for it this episode here is with um a police officer officer nick and he grew up in a low-income part of the city that he grew up in we talk about so many different things in this episode from just policing in general to race relations mental health education and just where we are as a country and as a society you know one of the things that i really appreciate about nick and he mentions in this episode that you're about to get into is that there's a human side of being a police officer i think a lot of times we forget even for myself that police are people just like me and you the you the people that are listening it's important that as we continue to push for reform for change and as officer nick says a complete overhaul of how we view policing it's important that we remember that these people are human beings at the same time also something that i really appreciate him saying and that you guys are gonna you know what i'm not even gonna do that i'm gonna just let y'all hear it i'm not i'm not gonna start spoiling some things but there's a lot of great things that come out of this episode for me it's really refreshing to know that there's an officer out there who really believes in society and the positive changes that we can make who also understands where we are and where we currently are as a society and as people i also think that for those of you listening we must understand that this is going to take time and there is no one size fits all to anything that we see going on right now in this world it's going to take multiple generations to fix things or to change things because it has taken multiple generations for us to arrive here and so i'm very honored very blessed and fortunate to have nick on my podcast nick thank you so much for joining thank you for sharing your knowledge thank you for all of you all that you do um it, it it's just just a really great thing so i'm not going to waste any more time i want you guys to get into this conversation i'm pretty sure that there's going to be many more episodes um with me and nick and other police officers to continue the conversation continue to do the work that we people like me and nick believe need to happen in this world and society today so let's get right into it All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another great episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. I'm really excited for today's episode because it is a very important episode to be having. 
Um, you guys are probably going to hear this a little bit in the future um, after this is recorded. But however, I'm one of those people that understand that this is a conversation that is going to need to continuously happen if we really want to see true change in this country. So I have on the line here Officer Nick Santos, who is going to be um, the guest on this today's episode. So, Nick, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. So let's kind of um, kick things off with a little introduction. Tell the people um, a little about who you are and what you do. All right. Um, my name's Nick Santos. Um, I'm a police officer here in Illinois. Uh, I've been a police officer for uh, about nine years, since 2011, so I'm going on nine years. Okay. Um, also, tell us, um, describe your, um, tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up. siblings um i have six sisters um <laughs> of all things i'm the uh, currently the only boy um i had both parents um with me the entire time they're still together today thankfully um an older uh, father who's uh he's 82 years old my mom's 62 and uh we grew up on the uh the poor side of town if you will um low income high uh gun violence and drug use some drug sell- sales things like that so i grew up around a lot of crime and um, different environment because I grew up there, but I was educated in private school. So it was like growing up in two worlds at the same time, which I think gave me an interesting perspective just on life in general. Mm. Nice, that's interesting, interesting. And then, um, I, I mean, I know this, but for the people that don't know this, how would you, how would you identify your race? I identify as black. My, my father's black. My mom is Latina, but um, I've always identified as my father's side because mm. um, if you, it's what my entire family here is black. Um, my father's black. I'm black. I grew up around nothing but black friends um, in my neighborhood. At that time, I've been treated as if I'm black. I'm, people identify me as black. I've always identified as black, um, even though I am multiracial with my mom being Latina. Okay. Awesome. Great, great. I, I firmly believe that however people choose to identify is how they choose to identify. Nobody else has anything to say about that. So, um, And, and I, I think the only reason why I ask that, too, is because I think it's going to be important for the conversation today because... What I find is that the race is obviously white supremacy and racism is like at an all time high right now. So this conversation is going to be very important. So let's um, you told us you've been a police officer for nine, nine years now. Tell us why you why did you decide to become a police officer? Well, my father, he was a a firefighter. So that was my original plan. I didn't uh, grow up particularly wanting to be the police. I didn't really like the police as um, many people in my neighborhood didn't enjoy the police at all. Um, but as I got into my teenage years, um, certain things happened within my family that uh, totally changed that path for me. My, um, I was 16 years old and my brother was addicted to crack cocaine and uh, he ended up dying from a medical issue uh, related to that. When I was 16, a month later, my nephew was shot and killed in a home invasion. And these are all, you know, pretty close to neighborhood, just blocks away. Both these things happened within a month time of each other. And they affected me greatly. And my thought process just totally changed. Just like, what am I gonna do about this? Like, like I'm hurting right now, but what can I do about it? So at that point, I was like, the firefighter thing was pretty much out the window. I was like, the best way I think I can help my neighborhood is put myself in a position of power where I can do that, where I'm hands-on and I'm there. Mm-hmm. 
So the police journey um, totally just started from there, and I had no plans of it initially, none. So, so tell us a, a little bit more about the community you currently serve. Is there a certain part of the city that you patrol and you serve in? Or tell us a little bit about that. Mine, I serve exactly where I grew up. <laughs> so my family's still there. Um, when I People ask me, why didn't you uh, go to the state police or why didn't you go federal? Because I had the qualifications to do so. I, I got went and got my bachelor's degree. I'm a Army veteran. You know, I had these... I had education, I had the experience, like, why aren't you doing that? And I say that I didn't become a police officer to help someone else's home. I became one to help mine. Mm. So I have always stayed at my, my side of town as you uh, where I grew up. I've always selected every year that, hey, that's where I want to work. That's where I want to work. That's where I want to work. And it's never changed. Mm. Nice, nice. Um, so I, I want to know, just before we get more in, into in-depth questions, I want to know how is Nick not 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 Officer Santos. I want to know how is Nick doing right now in the current state of everything that's going on. You know, every day I have to remind myself that I'm blessed. You know, no matter what's happening in the world around me, I try to remind myself that every day I have a very supportive wife. I have parents who always check in on me and my well-being. I recognize that many people don't have this kind of support system, which you know it makes me. I have to remind myself of that. No matter how bad things are getting. You know, just for my own mental health, I have to remind myself, hey, man, you're blessed. You are blessed. You worked hard. You, you're you where you're at now. You have a good support system around you, man. God has put some good people in your life and has put you in positions to help. So I have to remind myself of that every day because sometimes it's hard. It is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really, thank you for sharing that because I know that the, the mental health component is, is, is a big, I mean, it's one of the pillars of my show and my platform. I've, I've had many mental health challenges in the past and to, to hear that you're an officer and you're aware of that and to count your blessings essentially is what you're saying is, is, is very powerful because I think that a lot of people we, and, and, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, I, I oftentimes view the police for how a lot of, how society views the police, but I know at the end of the day, Every officer goes home and takes their badge on, takes their badge off. Um, when actually growing up, I wanted to be a police officer. Um, and it wasn't until I got maybe like 10 or 11 years old that I was like, yeah, no, it's not for me. But one of the things that I admire about police officers is that, um, and this, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but this would be a thought that I would have. Every single day you leave your house, you don't know for sure if you're going to come back. Oh, 100%. The one thing my, um, my wife, every single time before I go to work, she never misses a beat in saying this. You know, she says, I love you. Be safe. And because she realizes it could be the last time that she sees me. Yeah. And she understands that. And I'm, I can't imagine, honestly, myself, I can't imagine not being a police officer and being married to one. Because that has to be extremely hard. It's totally out of your control. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to your loved ones, you want to have some bit of control of their safety. Parents with their children, um, spouses girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be, it's, you want to have some kind of control and feel like, hey, this person's going to be safe today. So that's got to be extremely hard. And I say a prayer every time I, every time I go, I have it um, posted in my uh, squad car. Every time before I leave the driveway, I say this prayer, you know, just in case something does happen to me, because, you know, it's not up to me. Um, A lot of times, you know, my dad always says, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. (laughs) And uh, I just say, hey, you know, if it's with if it's in your plan for me to go today, just 
I ask that you take care of, you know, my loved ones. Mm, that's deep. That's deep. And I think that um, that that by you saying it, it really adds like the the human side to to what police are. And I yeah. think that um, there white supremacy and racism, unfortunately, has many negative effects in this country. And I think that that's yeah. really that's really at the core of what we're looking at. And so that's really um, kind of what I want to get into now. But I want to start off by asking you, um, what have been some of the positive experiences that you've experienced being a police officer? I say anytime I am able to help someone, the people in the community, they know me. And it's not because of my, you know, quote unquote, crime fighting um, per se, um, but because of the things I do for them, the extra steps that I take, I help find them the resources they need. Um, whether it's helping them pay a light bill, speaking with their kids if they feel like you know they're heading towards you know getting into trouble. Um, I've mentored a, a few kids myself that don't have that male role model, and you know I love hearing from them. You know, as they're old, some of them are older now and they're about to become adults, and they're like, "Hey, I just want to thank you, you know, for showing me that you know the human side of what a police officer is." And I think that that's the big thing. It's breaking down those barriers of just. It's not just a badge and a gun there. It's a human behind that. And officers need to remind themselves of that a lot of times as well. You know, so some have a problem with doing that. You know, they just, I'm just this, I'm just this. No, no, you're, you're still a person. Mm-hmm. You know, these people out here are people as well. We all have our own personal struggles. We all have our personal blessings. There's so much more in common that we have with each other. And if people just spoke more, they, they would figure that out, I feel. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And I noticed that you are also um, pretty, pretty big on, on on Instagram. I kind of peeped that the other day, and I remember when you had like, <laughs> like, like, like maybe you had like six or seven thousand. I looked at, it, I'm like, this dude's at forty k now. And I know, and I, I believe you correct me if I'm wrong. Is probably attributed to a lot of like the tactical training videos that you do. Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved with it. Because is that separate from mm-hmm. you being an officer or like, tell us about that. Um, it, it's kind of, a, it, it's a multitude of things. Uh, so um, I'll give you the background of that. When, when I was in the Army, I was introduced to uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I've always been a, um, a somewhat bigger guy. Um, currently, I'm, I'm 6'2", 240. So I've always just relied on my strength for the most part. And when I was in the Army and I was introduced to this, I saw that how smaller people could effectively take me down and submit me and they could, you know, make me their punk. For me. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, how is this 140-pound guy doing this to me? This is crazy. It was a, I, I just found it to be an amazing thing. So when I finished my enlistment, um, I did a couple uh, instructor courses with how to teach it. And after my deployment to Afghanistan, I got out and I wanted to continue, you know, learning more about hands-on training when it comes to that. And I began um, training and competing in mixed martial arts. Um, Annoyingly, when I was starting out with a gym, I had no idea these guys were like top-level professionals that I was, that I was coming, these guys were in the UFC and Bellator. And I was just like, wow, this is crazy. So I was getting my butt kicked almost every day for the first couple of years. And from there I went into, uh, I was hired as a police officer and I went to a 12 week academy. So at the academy, you're there Monday through Friday and you have Saturday and Sunday off. You come back Sunday night. And one of the weeks was focused on just defensive tactics training. And as I saw what was being taught, I noticed a lot of things missing to make it effective. 
and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm seeing these films. Like, man, this this isn't really realistic. You know, I've just been getting punched in the face and taken down and wrestling, grappling for a few years now, and I'm seeing these. I'm like, that that's not how the human body works. That that's not gonna work. That's that's bad. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I thought maybe there would be you know more as my career went on that I would learn uh, through the department and. I was very, very wrong. So when I joined my current department, because I started at an earlier one for a few years, I was told at this time that, um, hey, you're going to have to stop fighting because I was, I was fighting professionally at the time. And my department has to approve any off-duty job that you have. So say if you're working security at a place or things like that, that's the typical off-duty job an officer would have just to make some extra cash uh, for home. And they were told, hey, that's not going to be approved. So I was like, wow, you just took that away from me. That's crazy. So people kept um, asking me, Hey man, well, Hey, uh, I'm just going to learn some stuff, you know, stuff, you know, they kept asking, kept asking me, kept asking me. And at first I never thought about teaching people these things. And so I started with a few people and teaching them and um, how effective we were. I started hearing from them like, dude, Hey, I just had to use it the other day. You know, that was, that was great. That was perfect. And as I was getting older, I'm going through my career. I realized this is a nationwide problem. I'm like, there's not effective tactics being taught in these police academies, which I believe leads to a lot of a lot of these deadly force encounters that don't need to happen because they lack the knowledge of how to use their hands, how to use their body, how to control the human body. And it leads to a lot of bad looking things, a lot of bad looking videos as we're seeing throughout the years on YouTube, Facebook, all these things. So I started sharing it on uh, Instagram. I did not use Instagram at first. I was pretty confused by it. And I started seeing that people were just following and following, and then they were sharing. And then next thing you know, the numbers just start blowing up. I'm like, whoa, I'm apparently talking about something that no one else is talking about, and people are listening. So I was like, I might have a little platform here. You know, I can, I can use this, and I continue with this. So I went and got some more instructor and certi- uh, certifications just so I could better teach the things that I know and learn some new things along the way. And that's just pretty much how that started and it's led to even a lot more that's in the works now that's happening um on the political legal front and just teaching all over so um that, that's how that all has started nice. hope i didn't get too track with it <laughs> nice nice i, I like that because I, I i think that ultimately like in my opinion i think that what we're seeing is the fact that a lot of police officers can't defend themselves without a gun or a taser oh wonderful Absolutely. You know um, that's what I call a tool reliance. Mm. They, you know, they have all these tools on your belt. And when those tools fail, which they do, um, they don't know what to do. And the only thing they have left is that gun. And we all have had um, just bad days. Bad days where you just don't care anymore. You just don't care because something bad's happened in your life. And sometimes those are the people that police run into. And this person at this point is not caring about their well-being, and they're like, you know what, I don't care, and they'll start fighting. And they might be giving this officer the business, and this officer does not know how to defend themselves, so that gun comes out. And all because this person was having a bad day. And that's just, that's terrible to me. That, that, that's just, ah, uh, that's, that's rough. That's horrible. I mean, that breaks my heart. Yeah. That, that's what the lack of training is leading to. So, and has there been any, do you know, I mean your department or any other departments that have obviously this is a nationwide problem so what are police departments doing to address that from the inside it's um it's slowly changing um i, I want to say shirley 
but there's going to be even more obstacles because one of the big problems that um, there is when it comes to policing is liability when it comes to certain things. So ignorance leads to bad decisions. Uh, I'm sure you can agree. So when someone doesn't know about a certain technique or they don't know about, well, I don't know if we want to teach our officers this system. There was this big system that was taught nationwide and is still utilized by a lot of departments, including my own. It's uh, called PPCT, which stands for Pressure Point and Control Tactics. And the reason this was so big was because this uh, company that was putting this out was saying, hey, we will, if something happens with these techniques, we will have our lawyers come and defend your guys based on those techniques. Well, it's pretty easy to send a lawyer to defend some techniques when those techniques don't really work very well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, if some of the techniques that are taught, they're not realistically effective. And when they don't work, that officer uses a gun. So when that gun comes out, the PPCTs are like, oh, we're not coming to defend you because the gun is what caused the injury. So you're on your own. So they're, the, the word, they get tricked into this, I feel. And there's a much better one now that's growing. And a lot of the federal agencies use it. And I'm, I'm an instructor in it as well. It's called Gracie Survival Tactics. And it is um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu based and it's just total control of the human body based on leverage and timing and knowledge of the human body without um, strikes being thrown, without the baton, taser. It takes away from the tool reliance and increases the officer's skill set and their confidence. And a lot of administrators feel that the more their officers know how to fight, that the more they're going to fight. I, I think it's a false belief that a lot of administrators have when in, actual, in actuality, the person that's going to fight the most is the one who feels they have something to prove. That mm. you know, they have that. I felt like, okay, oh, this guy's talking, talking mess to me or whatever. Oh yeah, you got a problem. You got a problem. All right, here's my chance to you know make me feel better about myself if I whoop if I whoop this guy or do. It's it, it's ignorant because the guy who knows how to fight is not the one who's going out to look for it. They're the one that's calm. They're just like, come on, man, we don't need to do this. You know, you know, I fought professionally, and and. Nine years of being a police officer, I don't have one sustained use of force complaint. Nice. Don't have one, you know. And I've gone, I've had to fight with people many, many, many times, including people with guns. And I didn't have to shoot that person. I didn't have to be, because of the skill set I had. And I didn't go out looking for fights. I just had that confidence where I it increased my ability just to talk to people because I had the confidence. I think that, it, in, in my opinion, I think what you're saying is basically that, you know, when you know that I don't have to pull this gun out, I don't care what you have, like, we can really resolve this in a cool, calm way, like, it really changes the perspective of, you know, the interaction. Um, that's something yes. that, that, that just resonated with me um, right now. But I want to um, kind of move into, like, police brutality and what we're seeing right now. And I, I want to ask you, like, have you ever uh, witnessed another officer not following policy or using excessive force? Um, not you, not following policy. Absolutely. Um, just, but, um, that could be many things. Cause there's a lot of policies. Like mm -hmm. for example, um, sometimes when it comes to not following policy, you, usually it's for the benefit of say the violator or the suspect or what's going on. Like an example would be this, you pull a person over for a traffic violation. You find out that driver has a suspended driver's license. Now policy may say this vehicle needs to be towed. And aside from the court costs, 
you know, getting your vehicle back is going to cost anywhere between 250 to $500 plus the additional charge for every day that the tow company has it. Right now, generally on the poorer side of town, many times, you know, here, here I'm where I'm at many times officers, they won't tow that vehicle because what the hell sense does it make to make broke people more broke? What's that going to lead to? What is pop? What does poverty lead to crime? And it, it, it's a little asinine. So it's like, Hey, call someone that um, has um, a uh, driver's license, have them come and drive your car away and, you know, we'll be good. So that's an example of officers not following policy that happens quite often. Um, Using excessive force, generally, I personally in front of me, I've not seen it. It has happened, and it's happened when I wasn't there, and I've seen the aftermath afterwards, but that's probably because a lot of times I step in. When things are getting, you know, officers getting heated with some guy or whatever, I might step in and take control of the situation so it doesn't turn into the excessive force thing. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen just because it doesn't happen in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I want to be clear about that. That does not mean it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. We know it happens. But in front of me, it does not happen. And I, I attribute that to me stepping in majority of the times where I see it could get to that place. So in like general, in general terms speaking, like if if you were to witness an officer using excessive force against somebody, what would be, what would you do, and what would be? I'm actually two part question. You mm-hmm. see an officer using excessive force; they're not supposed to be doing. What would mm-hmm. you do personally as an officer, and what what is, about? And also, what does the policy say that you should do? So what I would do, um, say if I show up to a scene and I see someone using what looks like excessive force. The first thing I would do was would get in there and help secure the person if they need to get in handcuffs just because I could have missed something. You know, there could have been something that happened beforehand. There could have been a gun involved. There could have been a knife. There could have been something that I totally missed. So I would get in there and just help put that person in handcuffs so we can calm down and find out what happened. Now, if I find out that they was just totally excessive and it was for nothing, that has to be reported. And policy says that it has to be reported. And in a day of uh, body cams and things like that, the person that's there and saw it happen and didn't say anything, they're going to be in just as much trouble as the person that did the actions. So what? So so after so I also want to kind of know a little bit about like how complaints are handled with the police department. So if a complaint is filed against a police officer, what is the general procedure for how that is handled internally? They can um, report it to supervisor um, if it comes to a point where it's something that. Um, is deemed to be hey that they, that's a se- excessive use of force, which would be a, a violation of someone's Fourth Amendment rights. Um, that gets taken over to IA if it, and um, possibly the state's attorney's office at that point. IA will do their, um, which is internal affairs, will do their own investigation. And majority of departments, internal affairs is pretty harsh. They're very very harsh and judgmental because they know it can come back on them as well. So once it gets reported there. Determination is um the determination that is made determines whether the officers how they're going to be disciplined whether it be days off whether it be them being fired um, if it goes to the state's attorney's office it could be um, hey they're going to be um, charged with something we had an officer here who was in an altercation where he fought with a uh, with a person and he made promises like I'm not going to take you to jail but you be talking mess you know you can throw hands right here. They threw hands, and um, it was reported. And even though the person that fought the officer didn't want any charges filed, 
um, because he said he respected the guy because he kept his word, didn't take him to jail. Um, the department said, no, that's not right. And um, another police agency was called in to handle that. And that officer was actually arrested. He was charged and he was actually um, prosecuted and found guilty by a jury. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So the, the <laughs> these things happen. They don't, they don't always make the news if they're not that big, if there's not a sensationalized um, video that went viral or anything. Um, and a lot of times these court procedures, um, as anyone that's been through um, a, court, a criminal court process, they can take a long time depending on the attorney, um, on motions they file, on evidence discovery, um, on continuations. They can take a couple years. So by the time the sentence is handed out, a lot of people have forgotten about the entire scenario. Totally forgot about it. But that officer could be in jail or that officer could be you know, found guilty but given probation. Um, this officer actually, um, he's found guilty so he is now a felon because of the fight he had. Yeah. He's now he's now a felon, so he can't be a police officer anywhere. Now I've heard uh, that there's like a like I've heard like no snitching like on the street code since, but I've also heard the same thing in like police departments. You don't tell on your fellow officer. Is that true? Right. That is true in some departments, and I'd say it is more of an older type thing. Because, unfortunately, a lot of times, um, as police, we develop um, a gang mentality, if uh, is the best way to say it. And I don't mean gang mentality as in, you know, Crips, Bloods type thing. I mean, everyone wants to be a part of a group so they don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. And that gang mentality is developed in policing a lot of times because you feel like the entire world is against you. You feel like the media is against you. You feel like social media, everyone's against you. So just like, if, if we're not going to take care of each other... Who's going to take care of us? So I think that's how that mentality was brought about. Nowadays, um, it's extremely hard to even have that sort of no snitching uh, mentality or actions because with the age of body cameras, cell phone videos, um, younger officers coming in, um, no matter the community, the majority don't want to be considered a snitch. It's just you get looked down upon, um, whether it's civilian community, whether it's uh, police, whatever. Um, so not saying something gets you, like I said earlier, not saying something just gets you just as much in trouble as the person who committed the act. And either way, right is right and wrong is wrong. So with, um, videos now and body cam and all these things, um, they help push people towards that. Like, Hey man, I, I'm sorry, but your action, um, ain't worth me losing my, my job. I, I got kids to feed. You know, I was like, I'm sorry. I got to say something, bro. Uh, you did it. I'm sorry. I'm just, a cop. you know, I, I have no act, no control over the action that you just did. But, hey, I got to tell someone because I ain't losing my house. So I think that's that's dying out over the years as um, we have more younger officers coming in. We have uh, more diverse officers coming in. And we have just this age of um, accountability, if you would. I definitely would agree with you that I definitely see like a, a shift happening, especially as I get older. I think a younger generation is kind of stepping into those leadership roles and those big deciding roles, even for like communities as police officers and things like that. And I know I speak for myself and my generation. I think like we're just not going to stand for the same shit that two, three generations have went through. It's like it's going. It's this generation that's going to say it's not that. You know, it's not what's the, how's the saying go. It's not that I'm not my ancestors. I guess that's the thing that we're trying not to say. Saying that. 
this is the generation where it stops. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I can agree with that. I, I think that that's ultimately what's happening right now. Um, so I want to talk about your encounters with uh, black people versus white people. How would you how would you describe them? Are they different, the same, or what do you think? That varies quite a bit, honestly. Um, I like to stress to people that no group of people are, are a monolith. You know, no one's not. You can't take a group and say that, hey, this entire group thinks this. This entire group thinks this or does this. Okay. So every person is an individual. I have white people who constantly thank me for what I do. Um, I have black people that do the same thing. And I've had black people tell me that I should be ashamed as a black man for wearing the uniform. I've had that multiple times throughout the years. And I have white people who are racist and don't want my services when I show up. And all right, bye. Um, sometimes there are patterns that are associated with the group, but every person by themselves is an individual. And I believe that's something that's very important to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. So, um, so how, how, so you said you showed up to places and they said, I don't want your service. Like how, oh, yeah. can you tell us, like, give us an example, like why that happened or like, like, um, I, I remember one specifically. This is early in my career. I get sent to a um, um, a disturbance. Is all there was. It's a disturbance between a um, a man and a woman. I show up there, and we're trying to figure out why these um, this uh, what we find out are brother and sister, even though they're older. They're in their forties, um, fifties, and we're trying to find out. And this guy, he keeps looking at me. He won't, he won't tell me. He's like, "No, I don't want you here. Like, I don't need you. Go away." And uh, then a white officer shows up. I go, well, I'll talk to you. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't good enough. All right, man, I don't care. Um, come to find out, he says the, the argument started because uh, am I allowed to curse on this episode? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay. So the argument started uh, because he um, called his wife a nigger lover because of who she was dating. So when he saw me, he didn't want to. Uh, he's like, I, I ain't bringing that up. Nope, nope. I'm not talking to you. He's like, I don't, I, I don't need your, I don't need your services. You, you can go away. And the white officer shows up. Oh, now he wants to talk to that person. So I was like, huh, what? That, that's interesting. What do you know? I just find that in this day and age, one, like these things are still happening on a regular basis. You know what I'm saying? I think that social media is like this new awakening consciousness of racism and white supremacy. And I speak for myself, like, yo, like, I've been seeing this stuff. This stuff has been happening. You know what I'm saying? I think that it, we just reached a point where people are tired of seeing this stuff. People are tired of seeing unarmed black men being killed by officers. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think, like, what are police departments communicating to officers directly in the state of what's going on right now? Like, have there been memos, emails sent out? Like, what are, what's going oh, on? plenty, plenty. Um, the the uh, general message um in these emails or memos is to is in my in my department um, at least is telling us to engage the community in a non-police manner you know getting out of our squad cars talking with people as they're outside show them that we're more than just a badge and a gun you know just get to know the people in your neighborhood get to know the, uh, the people in the places that you're working and a lot of times um, this we share life experiences with people on the street and sometimes those experiences can you know build a a great rapport and it leads to deeper discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that um, there, there's there, there's a saying called uh, "sins of the father." You know, the, the father pays for the, uh, the the son pays for the sins of the father. So a lot of times um, with uh, some of these uh, white supremacy type um, 
policies and things that are put into play in the past, the police are the ones that are paying for them now. And I think, you know, I think it goes a lot deeper than like, you know, our police being racist, things like that. Um, as we said earlier, and, you know, sociological fact that poverty, um, where there's poverty, there's crime. It's just a natural thing. And why is there poverty? You know, the politicians are the ones who um, did redlining. Are you, are you familiar with redlining? I'm very familiar. And there we go. So I hope your audience is as well. If not, you need to do some reading on that. Mm. You know, there's a reason why the blacks live on one side of town in the majority of cities. There's a reason for, you know, why uh, white folks um, live on a certain other part of town or in certain suburbs. You know, this was by design. And with this happening, it created poverty. And with poverty comes crime. And where there's crime, there's police. So and where there's, when there's more crime, there's more police. So there's a lot more encounters. There's a lot more things happening. And then it gets simplified. I, I feel it, the, the, it's not given its due justice of like the true factors of how we are where we're at today. And the police get the majority of the blame because of older white supremacist type actions that led to these types of living situations led to the poverty that led to the crime mm -hmm. and and just just paying we're paying the price mm -hmm. yeah I, I would also argue that um in, in, in a lot of communities around this country um policing is high in these areas because it's often because I, I believe in data i understand the value of statistical data especially when it comes to policing and just understanding society and social norms and things like that but I find that crime still happens everywhere, you know, but I find that, you know, because poverty has the stigma of having high crime and things like that. I think naturally it creates it sends more officers to these areas versus in like the suburbs where people are still doing drugs. People are still robbing and scheming. I think I mean, honestly, some of those areas, they're doing even bigger and better crime. And I say that because there's no police over there riding down their blocks all the time. You know what I'm saying? And I also say oh, yeah. that because I, at one point in time, I, I lived on, like, let's say the east side. I know how things were over there. And then I was on the west side of town. And I, when I was on the west side of town, I engaged in more criminal activity, um, more drugs, more, more of this because I had a basement to do it in. I had a big house that I was able to, you know, run to when the cops were coming and things like that. So I, I think that there needs to be some restructuring that needs to happen with the police departments. I've seen a lot of things in the media late time on defunding and abolishing police departments. Um, I'm still wrapping my mind around what I think could be done. I know for sure there needs to be like a, a complete overhaul of just look at how would they do everything. But um, what do you think we should be doing? What should police officers and police departments be doing to make sure that black men um, specifically are not constantly being killed by officers? Um, one thing I'll say with the first point that you made about um, the um, engaging of a uh, criminal activity, say on like the, the west side of um, where you lived, um, which was a nicer side um, by design, and then the east side um, is, you know, remember what I was saying earlier that police officers are not a monolith. Mm -hmm. You know, no group is. Um, the officers that work the west side are completely different than the officers that work the east side. You actually every year. Um, at majority of departments, you actually, you bid for what area of town you want to work. And the ones that are, say, I'd say, um, are afraid or, you know, don't want to be in that environment, they go to the west side. They're the ones that, like, I'm just going to sit in a parking lot until I'm called to a retail theft call because 
no matter how much work I do or don't do, I still get paid the same. And it's a lot safer over here. I like it. And the younger ones, the ones that, you know, came into the leasing saying, hey, you know, I want, I want to I want to run and be out there, you know, getting guns off the street, drugs off the street. They're the ones that pick those areas. So the two, the officers are completely different and actually have like their own little, their different mindsets, their different ways of policing. If you switch the officers and you took the ones that were on the east side and you switch them with the officer on the west side, the same, the same thing would happen except on the west side now. The ones on the east, the one, the east side officers would be on the west side finding those exact same crimes, and it, it'd be the same thing. But just by design, those officers are completely different, and they pick those areas that they want to they want to work. Now, with um, getting uh, less black people killed, that was that's a huge goal, and this is where I went the political route with it, and I'm helping with um, drafting legislation in Illinois with the increase of the hands-on defensive tax training because there's also there's a lot of people call for um de-escalation training and um uh racial cultural sensitivity training things like that um and i'm sorry but if you're a grown man a one-day class or a few-hour class is not gonna and you're racist a one-day class or a few-hour class is not gonna make you not racist that's just a feel-good policy and politics are put it politicians are put it in to show that hey you know i care and i'm doing it. it it ain't gonna do shit it's it it's bullshit so why don't we give these since we can't control or sometimes you know know about these um hidden racists or anything why don't we give them the skills to not kill somebody so they don't kill somebody so my um like currently in illinois here's an example of like the defensive tactics and the use of force training um, and it, currently in Illinois, you have to train use of force once a year, okay, with no time requirement for that. So, and you have to shoot multiple times a year, though. So, majority of, 99% of use of force encounters are hands-on, using your hands, whether it be wrestling with somebody, end up a fight, taking them down, whatever. But I could literally walk into a in uh, police in-service training day and teach them a defensive tactic pressure point for five minutes, and I have met the state's requirements. And that is completely insane to me. That makes no sense. No wonder people are getting shot. These officers don't know what the hell to do. They, they have no idea what they're doing with that. So part of the uh, legislation that I'm proposing is to use one of these um, in-service days every year to start with, I'd like to see it quarterly, but one in-service day a year, so an eight-hour day of just hands-on training, just so they have that confidence more, you know, just so they can build that up. And by the end of it, I would like to see um, quarterly training with a test, um, just like there is with shooting. You have to hit, you know, hit so many times on a paper target within certain lines um, from different distances every year in order to qualify to carry your gun. There should be a test with different scenarios, different hands-on things, and how to control a subject so you don't have to kill them. Um, the last part of your question. What was the last part of your question? Uh, with the funding and uh, restaffing, yeah. oh, I, I, I totally agree with the fact there needs to be an overhaul of things because the thing is, policing was never designed to handle all the things that they're handling right now. It was never designed for that. You. Um, you know, police officer has to be, you know, um, they have to be a psychologist. They have to be, you know, a doctor. They have to be um, a dog expert. They, they, have to all, you know, relationship counselor. They have to be all these different things. When policing was just meant to, hey, crime happening, stop crime, take criminal to jail. 
that's all it was originally designed for. But now if a person does not know what to do about a situation, who do they call? Police. It just all it wasn't designed for it. Yeah, I first of all, um, Nick, I, I just want to just commend you for what you do because you you like when I get into these heated debates about police officers and how they're you know they're racist and they're this and they're that. It's like I know that there are good officers out there, and like I know you as well. You know what I'm saying? And to hear right. that you're involved in legislation and trying to impact laws and create change, I think that that's something that, that, that really speaks volumes, not only of you, but at the shift that's happening. Because I know you're not alone by yourself. And I know that I'm pretty sure you could probably name a couple other good officers that are right there with you in this fight. Because ultimately, it's going to take all of us to, to really make change. You know, me, I'm using my platform as a podcaster to raise awareness, to, to bring people together, to have these kind of tough conversations, you know, in, in, in a safe way. That, 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 that people are able to be heard. Like something else that you said that I didn't even know was that officers can pick the area that they live, that they patrol. And I'm like, yeah. well, that can be something that, I, I mean, again, just off the top of my head, why not assign officers to certain areas? You know what I'm saying? Versus you picking this area and then now you know you're in this area. If you know you got a friend or something in this area, you might let things slide and things like that. So there's so many things that, as myself, as an outsider looking in, that, are generating ideas on how things can be done differently. And so I think it's, I just want to commend you for being somebody on the front lines, not only every day protecting and serving your community, but you're also getting involved in legislation and long term, like passing legislation is not like an overnight one or two month process. <laughs> it takes time. And I think another thing that needs to also simultaneously be happening is people need to understand how legislation and laws are put in place. Yes, you know what I'm saying absolutely. the process of that, and I think a lot of times when we're in a fit of anger, and, and I use myself as an example, it's like just get rid of the police, or you know, fuck them, or do this. You know what I'm saying? That's in the heat of the moment. But when I step back and the smoke clears, it's like okay, we, we there's a lot of stuff that has to be at play at the exact same time, and I think that the ultimate end goal here, um, and I speak for myself, is that white supremacy and racism it still exists. There's still policies based on that, and that is what we ultimately need to tear down. And in that process, we're going to find specific policies, specific laws we could pass, specific programs and things that we could create to rebuild and continue to have safe communities. Because I also feel like, well, not I feel, I know I have dialed 911 several times in my life and was blessed and so happy to see an officer pull up. So... Again, I think this is a conversation that definitely needs to continue. But I also um, want to ask you, and kind of in wrapping up here as well, how what are you doing on a daily basis? I know you say a prayer every day before you leave. I know you have a great support system, but to maybe some other police officers, to some family members of officers, um, maybe add a little bit more to what you're doing to keep your mental um, health intact. Um, maybe talk a little bit more about uh, some other things that people are doing to support you. Because I think that at the end of the day, for somebody who like, I'll speak for an officer like you, who is actually um, really out there to protect and serve, like we want more of you. So how can other people support officers like you? And what are some things that you do on a regular basis to protect yourself and your mental space? Ooh, that's a multifaceted thing. First of all, um, in this job, this can't be your life. You have to have an additional hobby. You have to have a hobby at least. You have to have um, friends that are not police officers. You 
that way you can keep your perspective open. Um, if you're not a police officer, find a friend that, you know, find a friend that wants to be a police officer and don't, you know, judge them because, hey, man, go, go ahead and do it, man. I know you as a person, and I, I think you should do that if you really want to do that. And that way you can give me some more perspective on what's going on because there's a lot of things happening that I don't understand. And perspective is a huge thing when we talk to each other, when we listen to each other. We have to speak with people from different backgrounds. We have to speak with people from different walks of life because not one, you know, there's not just one way of life. Everyone has different experiences and we have to learn from everyone else's experience to see where they're coming from. We can't judge um, people without walking in their shoes. We can't, we have to understand each other. Once we have these conversations, we understand each other. We will be so much better just as a people. We can't let this divide happening. I mean, and it's hard not to do when you get angry. It's hard not to do when you're totally upset, when you keep seeing the same thing over and over again. But you have to have different people in your lives you can speak with, and that will help your mentality so much. Otherwise, if you just have this one thought process and how life should be and how things are going and you don't understand, it's going to drive you crazy. It's going to drive you nuts. It's going to feel like it's the whole world doesn't make sense and I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, I agree with you 100%, and that's... Um, so I, I was literally just having a, I, I just did a podcast I can't even remember off the top of my head But I did a podcast the other day And we were just talking about race Actually it was a podcast with Andy And he was saying um, You need to, People need to start talking about race With people that they don't know Because a lot of times um, People are only talking to people that They know And that they know their mindset So they're not You're not really getting a different perspective You're really kind of like Just spinning your wheels Talking to people who agree with you and, uh, Right I think that that's very powerful that you said that. So um, I also want to, what are your thoughts on continuing to, I know you're like nine, almost 10 years in the game. Um, Do you have plans to like maybe do something else or um, what what are you thinking you might do in the future? Um, As soon as I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take this career to the end. And then afterwards, maybe I'll look at possible, uh, maybe, politics i'm not i'm not sure just just it's something that's a thought process and I'm, people approach me about it and say hey at some point you need to get up there and somewhere whether it be just local city government or whatever and just because you have perspective that people yeah. do not and i think people need i think we need that up there so maybe towards the end maybe politics um i definitely want to keep training officers whether um around the country wherever i can go just uh, because th- that's my main mission is I think that's going to save so many lives um, just everywhere, and it, it will help this entire nation's sickness that we have right now. So that's that's my main that's my main goal before I get out of here. I mean, that's what I'm here to do, I feel like, sometimes. I'm like, how has no one else done this yet? Yeah. I'm like, why hasn't no one done this yet? <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe that's why I'm here. Yeah. You know? And I just, that's, that's my thoughts on that. And, ah, man, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> one step at a time. Right, one step at a time, right? Um, any last comments or anything you feel that people listening may need to hear from? Because, um, and I also want to go ahead and just put this out to everybody listening. There'll definitely be some more um, talks from Officer Nick Santos because this is something, again, this is a conversation I'm going to continuously have on my platform because the more education that I have, I think uh-huh. for me, I'm learning how to, what role can I play in this movement? You know, my current situation right now, I'm trying to start a business and 
to amplify my voice as a as a speaker and a podcaster but you know i think a lot of people are confused about what it is that they should be doing so um any last minute words or comments you want to say to anybody who may be listening um um let's see um you, you as an educator i mean uh, you, you were a teacher for a while correct if I yeah, yeah yeah i was a teacher yeah um that's that's one thing that i feel like um would help with people's understanding a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a damn shame that so much of history and the classes that we learn in grade school and high school is just left out. And, you know, you have to wait till you get to college and you might have to take an African-American studies class and then you start learning about things. You're like, well, where the hell is this? I think this is kind of important. Like, why isn't this in basic history that's taught everywhere in America, you know, this should be, I should learn this in high school at the very least. You know, I think that's a damn shame so much is left out. And I, I've heard, I've read that it's possibly because Woodrow Wilson, when he wrote his um, History of America back in the early 1900s, that his, he, he was, he was a profound racist and even played Ku Klux Klan like videos and the White House. And apparently um, 20th century history was based off his, not off the things that he wrote is what I heard as a possible reason why this um, happened. So I think education needs to change so people have a better perspective from the get-go so they can see why things are the way they are so they don't de- develop these prejudices, these implicit biases or explicit. Um, but my final words, I'd say don't fall into the devil's playground. If you judge or have a preconceived notion about any group because of the actions of a small percentage, that's just being prejudiced. And no one should become the thing that they hate. Yeah, I, I, man, Nick, that, that, that's a good note to leave on. And the only thing I'm going to say about education is the same way, the same energy that we have towards the police departments right now, we need to have that same energy towards the education system in America because that's somebody who was on the inside of that and saw the things that I – that's one reason why I quit cold turkey in the middle of the school year because I was like – I went in thinking that I could make a change. But I was gonna literally drop. I was gonna literally be sitting in a mental institution trying to deal with these people every day. So that's a whole another conversation. I definitely feel. I definitely one hundred percent with that. So, um, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the on the show today, man. I really look forward to having more conversations with you. Um, to anyone listening, um, check the description box for anywhere you could contact Officer Nick. Maybe his Instagram um, and things like that will be there. Um, and thank you for coming on the show. For those of y'all listening, y'all know what this is. Another great episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. And be sure you look out for more episodes like this to come in the future. And y'all stay blessed. Take care. Appreciate it.